0: This is The Big Ponder.
1: I think that experiencing awe in life, that feeling of awe and amazement, is absolutely vital. You know, it's like an endorphin rush. And um, I think a world without awe and amazement and wonder and new things would be maybe not a life worth living.
2: When was the last time you felt jaw-dropping awe? Michelle Watson, who you just heard, isn't a scientist, but she almost perfectly describes what researchers are discovering that humans can experience in a state of awe. Michelle experienced it in a big way recently, thanks to a tiny creature called a cicada. Picture something like a huge flying beetle. They periodically emerge in plague-like proportions in the U.S. And that sound you hear in the background? is what Michelle recorded when millions of them were singing on her property. In a few minutes, we'll hear more about why cicadas blew Michelle's mind. But first, a little bit about why and how we experience wonder and awe, and why those feelings could actually benefit health and even humanity. My name is Melissa Gear, and, well, I'm a pretty easy mark when it comes to getting sucked in by nature's awe. Like the sheer engineering brilliance of a flower, or the terror and wonder of a total solar eclipse, the vastness of the ocean, the brilliance of a meteor shower. But you don't have to listen to me. There are enthusiastic, educated people who make it their mission
0: to help others access the wonder and awe around us. I had white perch fillets, and cicadas for breakfast this morning, no joke. It's poor man's surf and turf.
2: <laughs> really, poor man's. <laughs> oh my god. Okay.
0: Hi, I'm Nick Spiro. I'm a board member at the Natural History Society of Maryland. I'm a retired entomologist, and nature has been my drug of choice throughout my entire life. It gets to my soul. It it means everything to me to be able to connect to the natural world and to have a sense of how all of the natural world is interconnected. Interconnectedness, that's another
2: big clue into how awe and wonder are beneficial. We'll hear more about that later, too. But first, a quick dip into the Natural History Society of Maryland. Edmund Doc Fladung, a son of German immigrants, founded it in 1929. He saw the value in preserving nature and giving the public easy access to it.
0: We expose people to all facets of nature. We have a fossil club. We take trips looking for fossils. We have a LEP club. Lepidopter is the order of insects that moths and butterflies are in. And we teach proper husbandry. We send kids of all ages home with caterpillars with the proper knowledge on how to raise them. Um, We take walks out to vernal pools to show people the amphibian activity in there. So we really expose people to a lot of different aspects of nature. And for the most part, people walk away pretty amazed and uh, refreshed with a a new sense of what nature is all about. So that all sounds lovely and interesting, but to what end? Years ago, we had a meeting at the Natural History Society, and this was a group of pretty influential people, professional paleontologists, uh, biologists, you name it. And something came up about we're getting older. We need to turn stewardship of all of these things over to the younger crowd. And my response was stewardship implies an intimate knowledge of these things. And I said, how do you turn stewardship over to somebody that doesn't understand these things? So when I say understand these things, I'm talking about the the interrelationship of all aspects of nature, to have an appreciation for that and understand how things depend upon each other in nature and one link taken out can really unravel a lot of things. So to be able to instill that appreciation in nature to others is important to me. If I can instill that awe in somebody they may become better stewards of their backyard, a bigger scene, just any little part of that. Uh, About a hundred years ago when my daughter was in kindergarten I would take caterpillars to her class and the teachers would raise them. They had names for them. They were amazed with them and maybe a week later the tent pat caterpillar started coming out and these caterpillars are walking across the sidewalk and parents picking their children up are stepping on them. All of a sudden these children came over and said please be careful don't step on those caterpillars. So in such a short period of time, these children, kindergarten-age children, were they were afraid of these caterpillars when they first came in. Now, they're stewards of these caterpillars. They want to protect them. To me, that was so gratifying to see a change um, in a young child. Their eyes were open to a certain aspect of nature they'd never seen before, and now they felt Part of that and they wanted to protect that. So anytime that I can connect people to nature and they 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 get it and it's like wow. A perfect description.
2: Nature is like wow. And experiencing that wow factor can make us feel connected to and therefore more protective of the environment. Now we move from the terrestrial to the celestial, because another generator of awe and wonder that makes its home here in Baltimore is the Space Telescope Science Institute. It's basically ground control for the Hubble Space Telescope that has been capturing breathtaking, never-before-seen images of the universe and sending them back to Earth. STSCI also stores the images to make them available to researchers all over the world. And not only that, they're building the next bigger and better one, the James Webb Space Telescope, set to launch on October 31st this year. Rosa Diaz is one of those people helping humanity explore the universe.
3: I'm the branch deputy of the missions engineering and science analysis branch. We do work with the instrument scientists, that calibrate the data of the different instruments that are in Hubble or that will be in James Webb, and with the developers of software to make sure that the observations that the scientists get Uh, have the best quality uh, for their science.
2: Rosa serves as a critical conduit between the scientists and the software developers. She kind of translates for the two parties to make sure they both get what they need. And working at the home of the world's most powerful lenses into the universe is a dream job for her.
3: I grew up in Mexico, in Guadalajara, and... I was always a very curious person. I always wanted to know how things work. And since I was a child, I will always uh, try to understand even how a car will work. So when I grew up, I started to try to understand more about the science and more about um or ecosystem, and eventually, I think at watching Carl Sagan, I just totally was sold into astronomy. Um, I think that uh, one of events that really motivated me to study astronomy was uh, observing lunar eclipse. I remember that I was very I was very young. And I woke up very early to see this uh, lunar, lunar eclipse. And seeing how the moon looked like a, really an, a sphere floating in the sky, it just made me wonder how that happens. So I started to get more information about astronomy. And uh, eventually, everything used work for me to, to study. Um, astronomy, which I mean, it has been very, very, very exciting um, career.
2: Clearly, Rosa is no stranger to awe and wonder. So much so, it's hard for her to discern what stands out most in her duties as she helps scientists explore the universe. But still, she doesn't take that for granted.
3: I think everything is mind-blowing in there. I mean, it's, it's very exciting Exciting to see how the work that I do enables um, scientists to get all the results that you see in the news, to get those images that you see and the discoveries. So, for example, one of the images that I love the most is the ultra deep field that showed us a lot of galaxies uh, in our universe from a region that we thought there was, we didn't see anything. And and then when we took that image, there were a lot of galaxies, galaxies that were formed long time ago and that was breathtaking, I mean I just, uh, it was very exciting to be able to see that image.
2: Another important part of Rosa's job is to educate the public, especially kids in the Latino community. She uses her passion for astronomy to ignite an excitement for the sciences in young minds. Because, like she experienced as a young girl gazing up at the night sky, Rosa understands the powerful role that wonder plays in our lives.
3: I think it is a basic element of what makes us do what we do that motivate us to continue searching for answers, to try to understand what is happening in our universe, what happened uh, at the beginning of, of universe. Uh, because if we didn't have, if we didn't wonder, if we were not amazed by the discoveries uh, that we do, we will not pursue or continue. I mean, that's very important in humanity, to continue searching for answers.
2: So get this, wonder and awe are so awesome that a growing field of researchers is looking at its effects on humans. Some of the findings point to reported feelings of gratitude, humility, and connectedness to humanity after experiencing an awe-inspiring event. And that, in turn, can even influence behavior.
4: I'm David Yaden, and I work at the Behavioral Pharmacology Research Unit in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine.
2: David explores self-transcendent experiences, specifically brief, once-in-a-lifetime, life-altering moments that involve feelings of connectedness or self-loss. Because those moments are hard to capture, he also studies the effects from feeling awe, which he likens as a mini moment related to these transformative experiences.
4: The way we define awe more specifically is uh, resulting from a perception of vastness. And that vastness can be perceptual, like looking out on a large expanse like the Grand Canyon, for example, or it can be conceptual. Like when you imagine the magnitude of the size of the galaxy, or think about a black hole, for example. And so when we're confronted with vastness, we often have this response of awe. And we would consider it a kind of self-transcendent experience.
2: David and several of his research colleagues designed an awe-experience scale to kind of break down what a person may feel during an awe-inspiring event. It has six components.
4: One is definitional. It's this perception of vastness uh, and the need to accommodate that vastness or to understand it in some way. Other components are these feelings of connectedness as well as feelings of self-loss or the the self-feeling smaller. Uh, Another component is time uh, becoming less salient or time feeling as though it's uh, slowed down or changed in some way. And then lastly, physiological changes. Um, You can recognize when someone is feeling awe, I think their eyes widen a little bit. Uh, Their jaw might relax or even open. Uh, They may feel chills or get goosebumps.
2: If some of those components of awe sound scary or foreboding to you, you're kind of on the right track. An English dictionary definition describes awe as a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. Another one reads, an emotion variously combining dread, veneration, and wonder that is inspired by authority or by the sacred or sublime.
4: Awe is what we might call a complex emotion. It has positive as well as negative aspects. Most emotions are pretty simple to categorize as either positive valence or negative valence. Um, But awe seems to have both, which is a little unusual. And so when people describe an intense awe experience, they'll report feelings like joy, feelings of of connection, but they'll also feel overwhelmed uh, and even stressed a little bit or, or having some fear. And this is a topic that's been debated uh, for decades and centuries. The, this, the, the research on awe in psychology is very directly connected to uh, writings on the sublime in philosophy, hmm. and so um, philosophers like Burke and Kant and Hegel and Nietzsche actually all discussed uh, the sublime, uh, which is which shares these components and maybe even emphasizes the fear aspect even more. Uh, and so, thunderstorms, um, gigantic storms. Um, Even there's some writing on military power uh, introducing a sense of awe for some.
2: I started to wonder, no pun intended, whether a feeling of awe could come from simply practicing mindfulness, just taking the time to pause and be present. I asked David what he thought. I
4: think awe can pierce through our habitual mental chatter and provide a moment of space and silence, which can be very enjoyable uh, psychologically. And I think mindfulness does this as well. And I don't know that there's research showing this, but I could imagine... Uh, practicing mindfulness and adopting a mindful state of awareness may make awe more
2: likely. There is research that looks at the intersection of feelings of awe and mindfulness or spirituality. And a person at the heart of it holds the magnificent title of Professor of Quality of Life, Spirituality, and Coping. He's located in northwest Germany.
5: So, my name is Arndt Büssing. I'm a medical doctor. I'm a university professor at the Herdecke University in Germany. It's a faculty of health and I have a professorship of quality of life, spirituality and coping. But I'm also affiliated to the Competence Center for Christian Spirituality, at the Philosophical Theological Academy in Münster, also Germany. So my research interests are a mixture of medicine, psychology, and theology.
2: The word in German, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, I mean, I read it, Erfurcht, but I know I'm not saying it right. <laughs> no, it's wonderful, Erfurcht. Erfurcht, okay.
5: Okay, in Germany, this word is much more strange. It means Erfurcht to give someone the respect and the honor. This is the air part and Furcht means fear. So you respect someone because he is bigger and more powerful than you. It comes from the the old tradition that in front of the king, you have to kneel, you have to bow your head or to say, you are the greatest king and I'm nothing. And this is a problem with the term Ehrfurcht in Germany awe, because it is not the intention um, for nowadays people to say, I'm so small, I'm not not worth to face all other persons. No. Meanwhile, the topic has changed. That is the meaning that I stop and I'm struck in situations.
2: Arndt and his colleagues also developed a precise measuring tool for their work. It's called the awe and gratitude scale.
5: This scale measures feelings of great gratitude, feelings of wondering awe, that persons have learned to experience and value beauty in life, or that one stops and is captivated by the beauty of nature, or that one pauses and stays spellbound at the moment, or that in certain places one is becoming quiet and devoted, and while stopping and thinking of so many things, people become um, grateful We've seen that this scale works quite good in different populations. Again, also in non-religious, non spiritual persons. And we've also seen there is an association with being grateful as a disposition too. So this encourages to run some other studies with the scale. We've seen um, that the topic of living from the face is related, but also in terms of a transformative aspect of spirituality that... Um, it's not enough to say, I'm happy with my God and the rest of the world, um, who cares? It also means that these feelings encourage persons to be more respectful in dealing with others, more peaceful, and to be engaged for persons in need, for example. Most groups, even the non-religious, non-hospital ones, um, they perceive these wonderful moments, and it is related with compassion. They see others with different eyes. I think this is the important aspect, because who is touched in this way behaves differently. And this is a transformative aspect of spirituality. For example, you experience something which is really touching you. Let's say this is the experience of the sacred in life. Then you feel, I have a responsibility for this world. The intention comes up that I would like to guide and support others as a role model And therefore, I have to care for all sentient beings in the environment. So this is a very important thing that transformative aspects may appear due to this moment of being touched. But uh, to say it very clear, it doesn't always have to be the big miracle moments. Even the small moments of amazement lift us out of everyday life for a moment and inspire us.
2: Though Arndt's approach to work and life comes from a place of spirituality, he adamantly emphasizes that the feelings of awe and wonder that lead to connectedness are not dependent on religion.
5: It's a matter of interconnectedness with different traditions and all their uniqueness. And um, my point is, what is the sharing ground of all these different traditions? The sharing ground is the moment of silence, of listening, to whatever I try to listen. Some may say it's God, some may say it's Allah, some may say it's whatever, and this is something, this is what um, combines the different traditions and uh, results to a perception of interconnectedness. We all have the same planet to live on. We may differ in our cultures and religious traditions and so on, but we all have the same ability to listen, to perceive these moments of, let's say, wonder. And this is clearly, at least for me, um, a matter of spirituality, of perceptive spirituality, rather than a cognitive concept. Others may say, I don't believe in all this spiritual stuff. For me, it's just being there, so it's okay. It's a way how you personally interpret this topic for you and in your life situation. It's, it's okay. Even the non-religious, non-spirited persons experience this.
2: Being struck by moments of awe not only makes us feel better and feel more grateful for our lives, accessing wonder can even transform us into better human beings. But what in the world does all of this have to do with cicadas, which is where we started? Parts of the US experienced an epic emergence of cicadas this spring. We're talking an estimated one and a half million per acre. I was excited to witness this once in a 17 year phenomenon. So I downloaded the Cicada Safari app. Any science geek with a smartphone could upload photos and help document brood X cicadas as they're known. There is a leaderboard for uploading images. And that's where I saw Michelle Watson's name at the top. She has uploaded more than 3,000 images. I thought, whoa, I got to talk to this person.
1: You know, I even told my husband, I'm like, dang, i am going to wait another 17 years for this to happen again. (laughs) I'm going to be 70 years old. I'll be 70 years old. But I'll still be out there with my camera.
2: The funny thing is, Michelle hadn't really registered the cicadas as a big deal at first. She had just moved from Nevada to Georgia. She heard rumblings about some bugs expected to appear in big numbers. The cicadas had begun to emerge, but Michelle had been feeling ill and was housebound for a couple of days.
1: And the day I got up and went outside, I was like, what are all of these weird, what are all of these weird, like, shells, these bug-looking things on the trees and stuff? And then I realized that it was the cicadas emerging. So I just kind of noted it. And thought, well, that's neat. Anyway, so my first video was one coming directly out of the ground. Like, I caught it from moment one. And I thought, well, this is really neat. And I watched him, and I watched him climb the tree, and I watched him stop. That night, I think I was out till 2 in the morning with a flashlight. (gasps) Filming everything and everything and taking pictures. And the next morning... I went out there, and there we are again. There's millions, millions of these newly, um, these new cicadas that are all white and hanging from their exoskeletons, and it was just amazing. And I thought, you know what is so cool about this? The reason I'm so obsessed and infatuated and in awe, right, is because you can see the transformation take place within just a couple hours. And... It's just amazing that you can see that transformation in their life cycle happen literally right before your eyes.
2: Michelle's description of her experience with and reaction to the emerging cicadas is practically a textbook example of what researchers David Yadin and Arnt Boosing have been describing.
1: At first, I felt kind of, you know, minuscule. I thought, wow, I'm surrounded by all of these trillions of cicadas. And... Then I thought, you know, no, because I, I could get, I think at the point where I realized I could get so up close to them, um, it made me feel really inquisitive and almost like a, like a piece came over me, if that makes any sense. Like a piece came over me. I would sit out there for hours, I'm not kidding you, hours, on one cicada and film it. And just be so mesmerized and have such um, a newfound feeling of the world around me. And I just felt such almost like a, a feel, just serene, a feeling of serenity and peace, but yet just absolute amazement. You know, we're really um, outdoorsy people. We spend a lot of time outdoors. We kayak, we hike, we camp. So I've always felt, you know, a connection with the environment, but I've never, ever felt, um, that sense of connection. And I'm not really sure how to describe it. I felt like, um, I felt connected to the, the nature around me, definitely more. Right. And, but I think I felt more connected with myself too. And... Yeah, for lack of a better term, more connected to nature and more connected to exactly what was happening around me because it was just mind-boggling that I could watch it. Um, I just, you know, felt like a symbiotic relationship with these cicadas. Like they knew I was there. They didn't care that I was there with the with the camera in their face, you know. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: From tiny bugs or a walk through the woods to the vastness of the universe or moments of inner silence, a world of wonder and awe is out there, waiting.
0: You've been listening to The Big Ponder. This transatlantic podcast is brought to you by the Goethe Institute in collaboration with the Bertelsmann Foundation and Rundfunk Berlin Brandenburg. Thanks to all our friends on both sides of the big pond that make this series possible.